Hello and welcome to The Footprint 40, a podcast that gets under the skin of the sustainability issues affecting the food service sector. My name's Nick Hughes, Footprint's Associate Editor, and in each episode I'll be joined by my fellow Associate Editor David Burrows to chew over the news and views making the headlines in our industry in company with a special guest. For our latest podcast, we were delighted to be joined by Charles Clover, the environmental journalist and author and co-founder of the Blue Marine Foundation. And you'll definitely want to hear Charles's strong views on sustainable seafood, and in particular, the challenges around certification schemes. Charles, welcome. It's great to have your company. Perhaps you can start just by summarising your background, and in particular, the focus of your current work as Executive Director of the Blue Marine Foundation. Well, I'm a sort of life time journalist who got into the business of conservation via a book, uh, The End of the Line, about overfishing, uh, and a film of the same name uh, in 2009. And then a lot of people, including some of our producers, thought that uh, we were having more of an impact than the... uh, charities focused on overfishing at the time, or at least the ones in the UK, and that there was room in the market for another uh, charity focused on overfishing and um, creating marine reserves. And since then, uh, the last 11 years, we've grown to having a turnover of 8 million, uh, employing around 50 people, including consultants. So we're a medium-sized charity now, we're not a small charity. And we've, we've had, I think, some impact. Most uh, NGO campaigns are coalition campaigns, so it's always rather difficult to see who has got the credit, uh, whether, they got the, whether, they, whether the right people got the credit. But we've been in a lot of coalitions which have got a lot done. That's how I like to put it. The focus today is really on seafood sustainability and, and from a business perspective, um, you know, I, I suspect businesses uh, have very good intentions where sourcing sustainable seafood is concerned, but perhaps some find it quite challenging to navigate um, the complexities of doing so and, and uh, the supply chain complexities and also really understanding what's happening out at sea. So, I mean, let's perhaps talk about the Sea Spiracy documentaries, a route into this discussion on seafood sustainability. Um, hopefully, lots of people will have seen it by now. It was released, I think, back in, back in March this year. And it wasn't a subtle or nuanced documentary in particular. Um, but I know you wrote a blog highlighting, yes, there were numerous factual errors and, and problems with the overall narrative, but you still concluded that the documentary itself had value. Why was that, do you think? Well, partly about the audience it reached. I mean, it, it, it wasn't uh, a broad brushstrokes wrong about many things. Uh, it, it had a slightly klutzy view of science. It wasn't very good at science. Uh, it, it, it raised a headline that comes from a scientific paper in 2006. It's been re- revised many times since. That's that's just not what you do if you were sort of scientifically properly engaged or literate. But it, it rounded up a sheaf of cuttings uh, all about what terrible things are going on in the sea, all of which are true, and slapped the viewer's face with it. 
on Netflix, which is the kind of global audience that these things actually needed. And it's, it's, you know, it's taken it up a level, the level of concern since our film in 2009, and rightly so. So I commend it for doing that. Uh, it, it's possibly accident that a small, low-budget documentary with, with a few flaws in it gets, on, gets a global audience. But this subject needs a global audience, so hats off to Ali Tabrizi. So let's address the central argument of the documentary makers, that essentially there is no such thing as sustainable seafood and, and we need to stop eating fish. Is that a fair and reasonable argument in your view? Uh, no, but I understand why uh, it, it is a despairing thing that you'd say if you were when he was saying it. 100 miles off the African coast uh, on a vessel that was behaving illegally that had just been apprehended by uh, a load of commandos um, taken there by Sea Shepherd because the country in question couldn't afford a boat. So, you know, there are things in the ocean that make you despair, but they're not ubiquitous. And that's the thing that's wrong about his... Uh, vegan-inspired, don't-eat-fish message. It's just too simple. If you deny the sustainability of, of some of the little boats, for example, that go off off the British coast catching shellfish, um, you undermine uh, the economy of local places, you undermine uh, the people who are actually looking after those uh, areas, many of which are now protected areas, uh, like Lion Bay, which uh, we've done a lot of work in, and, and where they're actually achieving per de defensible, uh, scientifically credible results in conservation. You know, if you're undermining that, you're undermining a lot. And, and out there in the, in the world's oceans, out there in the, in the industrial fisheries, um, there are things that are going wrong. And we are I think there's a sort of wave of concern coming up again about them because we're no longer sure of the certainties that we had even 10 years ago about uh, the sustainability of, of certain fisheries, but tuna, for example. Um, they're really going wrong. And, and uh, you know, I don't think you can watch that film and not be quite alarmed by the bycatch uh, of fisheries that nobody's doing anything about and are certified by certified organizations as sustainable. I'm not sure they are. And, and you, can, you, you can worry a lot more about farmed fish because I think that's gone on being a problem and gone on growing. So that's not very good either. And these are the things that have happened over the 10 years since we made our film, and which I think are changing my mind, and uh, Ali Tabrizi's put it up there on the screen for everyone to see. I mean, they're, they're dis disconcerting, particularly for retailers and for corporate people. I mean, the people who've been telling them that what's, what they're doing is okay may be wrong, and they should think very long and hard about that. So, in your view, are the solutions political? Are they commercial? Do they need to be consumer-driven? Do we need to eat less fish or change the types of fish we're eating? 
or a mixture of all of those things? All of the above, obviously, but uh, the, 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 the principal responsibility is with governments to make sure that the, the fish caught in their waters are caught sustainably, without bycatch, and in, in a way that means that they're not destroying the environment. Now, uh, you cannot be sure um, of that in UK waters. And the UK is a you know, developed nation. It ought to be better at this. Um, and, and there are certain things we're learning about the seabed and the seabed's ability to, to, to store carbon that are leading edge and which challenge the assumption that trawling is a good idea at all anywhere. So a lot of very big things are going on in the intellectual world and in the scientific world. And uh, some people in fisheries are taking a long time to catch up. David, you and I have recently been working on a report looking at what constitutes better meat. Um, and, and, and we've talked about, haven't we, in this context, what does better fish look like? Um, you know, uh, we're not sure that there's an easy answer necessarily. No, I, I don't think so, Nick. And uh, I think Charles picks up on some really good points there with, to do with farmed fish, which I think is going to be a, a, a huge issue um, going forward. You know, it pops up with uh, in the mainstream press um, uh, every few months with an expose of how how bad things are on um, certain fish farms and, you know, the long list of problems from, you know, the fish feed, whether it's um, wild, wild caught fish, soya, then there's the lice, the waste, the, the, the falling levels of, of omega-3 uh, in salmon up here in Scotland. Uh, and Charles, I thought it was interesting that you said um, that it keeps on growing despite the problems, you know, all these problems being um, raised. What, 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 what would you like to see happen? Because, you know, NGOs have focused quite um, extensively on, on farmed fish um, up here in Scotland, where I live, um, for a number of years. Uh, and even there's been, you know, considerably in-depth reports from, from MSPs, but, but, but nothing's really changed at least according to the, to the NGO reports. Scotland is where fish farming really happens uh, in the UK, and, and with the exception of some probably rather sustainable fish farming that happens on land in the New Forest or somewhere, um, in, in industrial parks. I mean, in Scotland, it takes place in, in open sea pens, and it has been going on for 40 years, and it has not modernised in that 40 years, yet it's gone on growing. And uh, there is a regulatory failure because, as you rightly said, uh, a lot of MSPs have written uh, very critical reports. Um, there are two uh, important select committee reports, I think, a couple of years ago, and nothing has been done since. Now, that's partly the defects of government in Scotland, which I don't want to get into particularly. But, I mean, if you wanted to expand... Uh, an industry and in your ideological bent was you wanted to keep take Scotland independent, you would not regulate this industry because it's one of the few things that would keep your economy alive. And that's what they're doing. So they're not actually doing any of the things that would be sensible to regulate that industry. It's wiping out uh, local fish stocks um, of uh, wild salmon and sea trout. It's polluting 
sea larks, uh, it's uh, using a, a, a large amount of wild-caught fish and producing a smaller amount of farmed fish. That's nuts. Uh, that's the problem with fish farming. They said they'd solve the feed problem 30 years ago. They haven't done so. You know, they said they would solve the problem of, uh, of, of sea lice accumulations in, in coastal waters, which are uh, at a vastly uh, elevated level because of the numbers of farmed salmon in the waters, and they just proliferate. So what have they done? They've overfished the wrasse all around the UK to put cleaner fish into fish farms. Um, this is, you know, creating another uh, another problem and not necessarily providing a solution. And if you look at how those farms are regulated, uh, you know, what it says on paper and what they're actually doing are two different things. So we've got a, a massive problem of regulatory failure in Scotland, at least. But I can think of some other countries where it's even worse, like Chile. I mean, why we are farming a predatory fish which depends on lots of uh, fish to feed it, uh, I do not know. It's just because people like the taste of salmon. But if we were to start at the other end and say what is sustainable, we would be feeding vegetarian fish, uh, it probably in, in, in close containment systems where we can turn their feces into hydroponic uh, nutrients and, and, and close the circle. I mean, we just, you know, why are we not reforming what we do in the sea? Because we know it's bad. And that's one of the challenges is, um, that, that Nick and I come across is then, then you speak to the industry and they say, we are doing all these things and things are improving. And as I'm sure you're well aware, Charles, that, uh, as a journalist of, uh, of many, many years, that weighing up, you know, what the NGOs are saying and what industry is saying it is very difficult. Um, and that's what caterers and food service businesses are trying to do as well, is, is weigh up, you know, whether this farmed fish is sustainable or not, whether MSC is, that they can trust the MSC logos. Well, let's keep off the MSC for a second, because that's another issue that's about wild-caught fish. The thing here, and, and some forage fish, which has, a, has an MSC certification, let's not worry about that for a moment. Let's just talk um, about uh, the the standards that apply to farmed salmon in UK. I think that Ali Tabrizi's film, Sea Spiracy, has actually made us rightly question whether um, the RSPCA standard that, uh, for, for animal welfare in fish farms is good enough because there are clearly farms that are, that are claiming that standard with fish that are being eaten to death by, by uh, sea lice. People have photographed them doing so. Uh, you know, it's not stacking up. And, and so, you know, that standard is frankly questionable. And if that standard is questionable, then, or the application of the standard, I'm not sure which it is, but if the, if the standard itself or the application of the standard isn't working, then I, I don't want to... Uh, go too far in, into it because I, my friends at the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Good Food Guide, the Marine Conservation Society's Good Food Guide, which I would commend for every other fish species as being quite uh, splendid as to which fish you should eat and which, which you shouldn't. They, I think they have a problem with aquaculture right now. 
uh, because aquaculture isn't complying with its laws or its standards and it's growing. So I'm not sure it's justifiable any longer to hide behind that RSPCA standard. I'm sticking my neck out here. I probably don't know what I'm talking about. Um, if it comes down to the, the levels of, of exact levels of sea lice on a particular farm. But I'm looking at pictures that show me fish being eaten to death, and that's pretty simple to me, and, and irrefutable. So um, at, at a high level, um, we have an industry that has not been reformed, should have been reformed. All parties in Scotland think it should have been reformed, and nobody has, and the fish are still being eaten to death by sea lice. So is that really a thing that you'd like to uh, uh, go out and buy on a supermarket shelf? I personally don't. I, I will not eat farmed salmon anymore, um, unless I'm fed it uh, in a social situation where it's rude to, to decline it, uh, yeah, because they haven't done enough. They assure us they've done, they were assuring uh, marine harvesters, movie were, were called back in about the early 90s, assured me that they would be substituting uh, wild fish uh, with synthetic proteins uh, within, you know, a few years. They haven't done so. Or if they have done so, they've used it to spin even larger amounts of wild fish out a bit longer um, while taking too many wild fish. So, you know, they haven't acted on what they said they should have done. And everybody knows that the, the, uh, the standard uh, for uh, these fish farms is something called closed containment, which you can do in a factory. You can do in, a, you can do in a, 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 an industrial park in the outskirts of Glasgow. You don't need to do it in the sea at all. And yet, I don't know of a single closed containment system um, fish farm operating on salmon in Scotland. I know there are some in the new forest growing barramundi or something. This, this question of certification, I think, is really important. It's, uh, I think, by and large, businesses use certification schemes as a proxy for sustainability. I know Blue Marine Foundation is a member of the On the Hook campaign, which recently challenged the MSC over the rigour of its standard and the transparency of its decision-making. Charles, perhaps you can just summarise, what are your key sort of areas of concern with that MSC label, which for wild-caught seafood in particular really is the dominant scheme, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, before we get into sustainability certification schemes, which is a bit, you know, heading straight for the weeds, we've got to get the, the basic uh, landscape of uh, sustainability clear. The number one responsibility, uh, the, the people who are number one responsible for the sustainability of fish are the governments who license the vessels that catch it. Sustainability certification essentially takes the, the responsibility away from the governments who are getting it fairly badly wrong and, and hands it to another uh, outfit and says, these schemes, out of all these uh, fisheries, these are sustainable. And then we find that some of them, by most of our common sense definitions, are not sustainable. But the, the problem is that the government is not facing enough pressure to deal with the fact that it's uh, uh, setting catch limits too high. 60% of assessed stocks in UK waters 
have their catch limit set too high. You know, that's not including the, the unassessed stocks. There is no assessment of scallops, of little fish like Gurnard, of John Dory. I don't believe there's assessment of cod in the Irish Sea. These things are not assessed. The main cod stocks, the breeding populations that they do assess, some of them are in terrible trouble. I mean, four out of five stocks of cod in UK waters are overfished and the catch limits are set too high. Now, the government, when it was in the EU, signed up to uh, uh, the, the reforms of the 2012 reforms of the Common Fisheries Policy, which said that it would be illegal to set uh, catch limits too high. Well, the EU goes on doing it, and uh, for now, so do we, with a few signs of improvement, but very few. And those stocks are in far greater trouble than the public seems to know. So everything falls beneath that. That is, they are the people responsible in every country for getting it right, and they're not. That's a fundamental thing. Now, if it was, if it was a cow and it had to be kept according to welfare standards. What's good meat? Well, a happy cow provides good meat, good milk, and, and a happy um, bull calf provides good, good, good meat. I mean, we, we uh, have all sorts of elaborate standards for animal welfare, and we require them by law. We have a law that requires the government to set catch limits at levels that science uh, says are, are, are acceptable but they don't do it. That's the weird discrepancy between uh, terrestrial farm animals and, uh, and wild animals in the sea which need a, a space to recover. They need time and space and enough of them to, to continue breeding and, and they need some habitat too without it being completely trashed. Okay, so in essence we're seeing governments delegate responsibility to private certification schemes, you know, who are filling that gap, if you like, you know, the political void. Well, they can't delegate. What they're doing is, is saying, oh, well, if you want to buy this thing that we are failing to knock out for you because we're, we're not able to constrain our own citizens to fish properly, which is quite a challenging concept. I mean, why can't they? Um, we're going to offer you this other alternative, which deflects responsibility from us. It's not delegation. It's uh, a kind of uh, greenwashing um, that, that allows their failure to, to, to apply regulations, to, to, to hide behind um, a, 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 what is frankly and deliberately an, an excessively complicated standard, which is inappropriately... Uh, effectively um, enforced that that is the MSC standard. We think that it needs, after 25 years, and I was strongly in favour of it when it was launched, I got it on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, the only person thought it was very important, um, and I've supported it in my book, but really, the time has come. It's been there for 25 years, it's creaky as hell, it's doing all sorts of things that, are, frankly, if the public really knew about them, they would, they would shudder. And it's time to look at it all again. So briefly, if you would, summarise what are your key concerns with the scheme in its current form? Um, the, the MSC standard allows various things that you and I would consider to be unacceptable. It allows the 
the, the, the finning of sharks. Now, they say they don't, but there are loopholes. And we've had long discussions about this. And boy, do they soak up uh, the time of people who, you know, are basically paid to do something else like ourselves. You know, they soak up time, the MSC, and then they don't listen. I think it was out, you know, only, only one of 19 certifications was the objection to it by stakeholders such as ourselves actually upheld. They, 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 they claim to uh, do stakeholder engagement and then they don't listen. So shark finning, it's still allowed. Under some loophole, yes, they say they, they, they don't want it, but it's still allowed. Um, there is an increasing number of tuna fisheries being certified that use fish aggregation devices. These are things that are rafts with a satellite beacon on top, so you can go and find them in the middle of the Pacific or the Indian Ocean or the Atlantic. And they have a huge bycatch of other species and a particularly high um, a catch of juvenile tuna, which should be returned, but are not. So they're catching 95% juvenile tuna and these are being certified, these fisheries are being certified by the MSC. We originally objected um, to the MSC certifying fisheries that were on the same boat that sometimes used fads and sometimes uh, caught tuna in free swimming schools, which was what we've considered to be preferable because they tend to be the larger tuna and you don't get so much many juveniles. Us having objected to them allowing the, 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 the two fisheries to exist on one boat, they now decide to allow all of it. So instead of actually restraining themselves, they uh, are restricting themselves, they, they're allowing everything. So the, 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 the suspicion um, is that they are far more commercially driven than uh, sustainability driven, that their business model is what is the problem because they don't make any money unless they uh, get money from large companies. They, they, they can't seem to deal with, with certifying small-scale fisheries, yet they, they're constantly publishing pictures of small-scale fisheries, but actually the ones that they get um, uh, their certifications uh, and get certified are, are industrial fisheries, 80% of them, I think. So a lot that they have said over the years that has not been acted on in terms of improvement. I mean, there are lots of these fisheries which have high bycatch of marine mammals, which have high bycatch of other species, um, go up for recertification. People object and they're recertified. That's one of my fundamental objections. They say they'll do one thing and they do another. Charles, are, are businesses challenging the MSC on this? You mentioned that you and other NGOs are, have challenged uh, many things many times, but uh, uh, do, do you feel businesses are asking the questions of these certification schemes that they should be? And if not, what questions should they be asking and how should they go about it? Well, very good question, but I, th I think that, that Seaspiracy um, in its sort of searing uh, but uncomfortable truth-telling uh, should be making retailers very uncomfortable about some of these MSC certifications and asking a much more searching questions of how the MSC operates. I, mean, I really don't think the MSC can carry on 
uh, as it does without simplifying its objection process and actually listening to objections. We're all prepared to you know, engage with them, but they make it too complicated. And they make it too complicated because they're very rich. They've got 30 million in the bank and they can go on talking forever. But we haven't got time. We say that is not good enough and they don't do anything about it. A classic example of this is the bluefin. They have actually certified a Japanese bluefin fishery in the Mediterranean or the Atlantic as well, I think, five years before the bluefin stock is what, scienti what scientists would consider an acceptable level. So they've, they've certified something which is at the top of the food chain, which is, you know, it has uh, an IUCN listing as, as endangered in some way. Um, and, and, and on the promise that in five years' time, a succession of decisions by Atlantic nations will actually produce a healthy population. Now, that's just a joke. They shouldn't have done it. They know they shouldn't have done it. But it's not just me saying this. WWF, which set up uh, the MSC, objected to that certification very, very strongly. It objected to the certification of Bluefin. It is said that the uh, MSC desperately needs to reform itself and yet the MSC just blunders on, uh, quite incapable of, of, of persuading anybody that it's doing that. It says it's doing that, but when you look at what it's actually allowing uh, people to, to put that blue tick on, it isn't. So if, Charles, in your view, the label is no longer a good proxy for sustainable seafood... Is it possible? Well, no, no, hang on. No, no, no. Some of it, it this is the problem. We have only one really credible, um, though diminishingly credible, certification scheme, uh, which was meant to... The, the point of the certification schemes was they were meant to improve the fisheries that were bad and bring them all up to a standard which should be operating in the developed world as a matter of course, as a matter of law. But we know that isn't... I've just explained why that isn't the case. So, you know... We have to put our faith in this structure that is the MSC, but it needs to reform itself. It's like the Catholic Church. It was basically a good thing. Then it got a bit, you know, then it got corrupt. Then it got various other things. The, the, the analogy is, is quite simple. Uh, you know, eventually something goes on doing something so badly that it needs reform. And this is one of those moments. So, so in your view, what does that reform looked like you touched on funding for example what does an alternative funding model for the msc look like in your view well i don't know it's, it's really their problem um but it, it, it is uh in the sense that it's our problem uh there is a lot more private money there are a lot of very big foundations around these days and a lot of their money comes from very big foundations as well as from uh the the these certification uh, payments for certification schemes. But the, having the, the whole thing uh, doesn't seem to work properly. The, the, having these, uh, these bodies that certify, that the, 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 the MSC itself isn't responsible for, um, is a questionable thing. And, and getting your money from the industries that you're trying to police is, is the other questionable thing. I mean, there is, there's a lot of, you know, private wealth has gone up immeasurably since uh, the 80s, for example. People are richer. 
people in America are much, much richer. Uh, the very rich are very much richer. And, and maybe it's time we started thinking we should do this kind of certification on an altruistic basis uh, and not um, try and create a business model in, that means you have to make a profit out of uh, saying something sustainable because, frankly, that's when the cheating and the loopholes and the long-winded manuals come in. I think one of the other things we've got to hope that retailers ask the MSC about uh, human rights, forced labour in fisheries, um, assassination of fisheries observers. Fisheries observers do a difficult job. It's becoming a more dangerous job. In the Pacific, tens of them have been murdered and no one has been brought to trial. Now, it's time that retailers started asking that questions about that. It's time the MSC started asking questions about that and, and actually looking at forced labour and human rights in their standard, which I don't believe they do at the moment. Then there's this question of, of carbon. I mean, we're all trying to save carbon now, right? Well, what's the MSC doing about it? I mean, it, it now looks as if uh, the practice of trawling in the world is creating as many carbon emissions as aviation. Why is trawling providing so many of the MSC's certified fisheries, certified labels? Uh, it is, it's got some thinking to do. Yes, so this is the point about oceans being a vital carbon sink, essentially. Um, and we're starting to hear more of that debate play out when it comes to terrestrial land use and, and the role of livestock in particular. Um, but, but much less so concerning the link between the health of the oceans and climate change. Why is that, do you think? Why, why hasn't it uh, emerged as a, as a public issue? Climate change has been seen as a terrestrial issue for 40 years. Um, it's about power stations and, and uh, mitigation means planting trees or, or stopping people knocking them down or, or reforesting trees. Um, they haven't looked at the oceans. The oceans are 70% of the planet's surface and there's lots of things uh, that go on the ocean that, that absorb carbon. The, the ocean already absorbs nearly half the carbon that's emitted into the atmosphere anyway, and it's becoming more acidic as a result. But there are things in it that uh, we could help. Um, we already know that, as, as an extension of that sort of terrestrial thinking, that mangroves uh, absorb far more carbon than rainforests. And then there is seagrass, and then there is salt marsh, and, and it gets more complicated because some of these things are difficult to put back and some of them absorb more carbon than others. But nobody's been looking at the, at the vast areas of seabed that are being trawled, where the animal forests, as somebody called them, um, where the fish and the static uh, animals, the dead men's fingers and the corals and the sea fans and, and all the, the flora and fauna of the seabed get flattened by uh, trawls. So, you know, the, the, the Dogger Bank, for example, which the government is now going to ban trawling on, uh, it's, it's just a flat plain, there's very little there. Um, and it used to have animals, you know, halibut and skate as, as big as a man. So there was a habitat there and there were species there that are no longer there, that, uh, and that's a result of trawling. Oh, also uh, there were oysters there. So we have to rethink um, how we catch fish. 
uh, as well as all the other things, in a, in a world in which we're trying uh, to soak up carbon, because the seabed does it pretty well, and then we're preventing it doing so in many places. Before we wrap up, we're keen just to touch on the issue of consumer plastic in the ocean. You know, plastic pollution generally is something we've covered extensively. And clearly, ocean plastic has, has captured the public's attention in a way that perhaps overfishing hasn't done. Yet what struck me about the Seaspiracy documentary was how it was almost presented as a distraction to some of the bigger issues around overfishing and the destruction of, of marine ecosystems. So what, what's your view on the significance of consumer plastic, how businesses are focusing their attention on that issue, um, and it, it, can it be a distraction from tackling some of those bigger issues? Well, I think where Ali Tabrizi's got it right, where Seaspiracy's got it right, is that plastic is not the biggest problem in the sea. Big problem in certain places, um, but it's not the biggest problem in the sea. And what are we going to do about it? Um, well, there's a lot of sort of up-the-pipe thinking that's going to have to happen, um, by very large companies who produce the plastic that goes down the rivers like the Ganges and the Yangtze and so on. That's slightly out of my purview, um, but it needs to be done. Um, there's a heck of a lot of plastic that is actually fisheries plastic. Uh, the, the, these fisheries aggregation devices are um, largely plastic. They're plastic nets, they're plastic bits and bobs of the plastic rafts. Um, and they go out and they go round and round in circles in the gyres of the, of the, 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 in the, the, the currents of each ocean. And they end up in certain, in concentrated in certain places, like on one atoll in the, 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 the Indian Ocean, where they all turn up. And, and they just, this tiny little place in, in the Seychelles has no budget for dealing with this waste. The European Union, which is the principal fishers of the, in, in the largest fleet in the Indian Ocean, pay derisory amounts. I mean, this is plastic, and somebody's got to clear it up. And so we could start, and, and it's also dangerous to fish, because it's, it's uh, attracting fish. So it would be sensible if we started on things like that. I mean, this, arguably putting these fisheries aggregation devices, fish aggregation devices, into the sea, is a breach of the Marpol Treaty anyway. You're not meant to put litter in the sea. If they end up as litter, they're litter. It's kind of obvious. So uh, there are places we should start. Um, it, it's going to be very difficult to know what to do with that uh, Coca-Cola bottle or can other than to recycle it. But there are straight things that are probably breaking the law that are going in the sea every day, which we could do something about. David, hi. How are things with you? Uh, I'm recently back from holiday and I believe you're still actually technically on holiday, aren't you? Yes, I am. I am still on holiday, but delighted to, to be doing this podcast um, because it was a really interesting one with, uh, with Charles Clover covering a lot of ground. His strong views on farmed fish, on MSC, on seaspiracy. I mean, what, 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 will, what were a couple of the things that that, that struck you, Nick, uh, during our chat with Charles? A really interesting conversation. And Charles is, um, you know, he's been, he's been writing about oceans and, and seafood industry for, for many years. And obviously now 
um, has a conservationist uh, hat on as well in his role with the Blue Marine Foundation. It's difficult, isn't it? From a business perspective, there's clearly uh, people want to eat seafood and people are encouraged to eat seafood by the government. Uh, The Eat Well Guide recommends eating at least two portions of fish every week, one of which should be oily, such as salmon or mackerel. So you've got the public health agenda on the one hand, where encouraging people to eat fish. And on the other hand, you've got some of these quite, you know, desperate environmental challenges around overfishing, around stocks, around marine degradation, around ocean pollution. How do you balance the two? It's it's difficult, isn't it? And, um, you know, I'm not sure we got to the answer necessarily in that session, but but we certainly had a, a lively conversation around it. Yeah, sort of what what a better fish, I think, as you phrased it, looks like. You know, we've talked we're talking a lot about better meat, but a better fish, you know, for years has seemed like a an MSC certified fish as far as wild fish is is concerned. Uh, but that that notion is being challenged, and y- you wonder who needs to challenge it most fiercely because NGOs certainly are documentaries like Sea Spiracy uh, certainly are but I wonder whether businesses are and as Charles suggested whether government needs to as well yes I think that's right and I think firstly we should also be clear that um, you know those certification schemes MSC RSPCA assured um, they're not here to, to, to defend the rigor and uh, integrity of their schemes which I'm sure they would do um, and um, certainly from an MSC perspective, we recently covered in Footprint News the On the Hook campaign challenge over the rigour of the standard and included within that was an MSC response. So, you know, absolutely, we need to make that clear. But yeah, look, I think uh, there's a role for businesses here, certainly. You know, they have such great leverage, don't they? Uh, especially large retailers, caterers, high street chains, it's important that consumers can be confident in the rigour of these schemes and businesses have a key role to play in, in ensuring that. Uh, I don't think it's, it's enough just to sit back and, and pay for a label and be happy that that's job done. Uh, it, ta- it, it requires campaigners, businesses, the certification schemes themselves, governments to all be working together to ensure that consumers can have trust in these schemes because they're important. They play a really important role. They are... Um, at their best, a, a really important proxy for sustainability. Um, but as Charles pointed out, um, in, in his view, perhaps the, the, the rigour of some of those standards hasn't been what it can be and what it needs to be. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why you know, it was great to have Charles on is because uh, I think we, we, with having MSC, fish maybe has been a little bit forgotten as far as sort of sustainability and sustainable diets are concerned, like you mentioned with the Eat Well plate as well and two portions. So hopefully this will start, you know, some of the debate that we like having across sort of the the, the, the footprint platforms, whether it's on the podcast or um, on the website or uh, forums um, and reports. So I, I think this is going to be a, a real issue for us uh, over the coming months. huge thank you to our guest Charles Clover and thank you to Maiko for your support in making these podcasts possible. This podcast was produced by the Footprint Media Group. 
To find out more, visit foodservicefootprint.com. Thanks for listening.